three, two, one. I'm Ayman. Ayman Nassar, brother Ayman. Thanks for coming on, man. Assalamualaikum, Mahmoud. Jazakallah khairan for inviting me. It's yeah. great to be here. It's been a long time coming, this. I've been waiting to talk to you for uh, a long time, like I told you. Uh, so I'm excited to finally have you on. Because I've, I've had a lot of questions for you um, uh, recently. As I've kind of been on my own journey trying to find who I am as a person, uh, a lot of the things that you did started making sense to me. When before I never really understood what you were doing necessarily. Uh, like well, when I was young, I was just a, uh, a young kid that wanted to run away from Islam, wanted to run away from my parents and my culture. And so I, I, I took everything that you did for granted and I didn't really see what you were seeing. Um, so I, I got to ask you, man, like what, what made you start ILIA, which is Islamic Leadership Institute of America, this, this foundation that you started? What made you start in the first place? Wow. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Sayyidina Muhammad. So uh, thanks for sharing that. But uh, exactly for those reasons that you just mentioned. As we know today, um, the Muslim youth are going through quite a bit. Uh, it's not anything really new. I mean, this has been the sunnah of Allah in his creation from the day, you know, Adam was, was created. When you think about it... Um, Adam's two sons, um, they were young, right? And uh, one of them killed the other because of jealousy, right? Because of a sense of insecurity, right? And uh, today, it just became more complex. It's the same issue. It just manifested itself in, in different ways. So a lot of young people um, feel insecure, uh, mainly because of uh, identity questions. Like you were saying now, you wanted to run away from... Um, your dean, your parents, you know, and I'm like, wow, I never realized that, <laughs> you know, but, um, <clears throat> but that's exactly what it is, right? The, the young person is having an identity struggle. Um, am I Arab or American? Am I Pakistani or Muslim? Am I Pakistani or African, right? And, and so forth. Uh, and, and that struggle is not easy to deal with. And when you're thinking about that day in, day out, every day at school, uh, in your community, in your, your neighborhood, right? You feel sometimes you're, uh, you're little on your own um, and you don't have a good support system, then you become very vulnerable to many, many evil things that can happen to you. Uh, so when I started Ilya with, it was actually a bunch of young people, three, four of them. I think you know some of them. And uh, the idea was let's, let's build leadership capacity in the Muslim community. So it wasn't really so much about youth when we started. It was more about uh, the community at large leadership capacity, like uh, the leadership uh, in our masjids, in our schools. Um, and really the idea came when um, one day I was at an area masjid sitting outside looking at a group of young people and adults uh, doing uh, an, an event. I can't remember what type of event it was, uh, but I realized that we're doing these types of events always from the beginning, like we're recreating the wheel again, right? Even if it's the 10th time that same place is doing it. So uh, like a light bulb went out and it's like, wow, we, we need to have some leadership. We need to be aligned. We need to be focused as, as a bigger community, right? And uh, that's really what sparked uh, Ilya. Also at the same time, I uh, saw our brothers and sisters in Baltimore City um, doing a lot of really good work, running uh, homeless shelters, running food drives, um, helping people who are, uh, you know, addicted to drugs and things like that, people who uh, have broken families. Uh, but yet the resources available to them were, were very, you know, very few resources. Um, many of these uh, brothers and sisters had very humble uh, abilities to, to do things, and, and they were really struggling. And it, it kind of, that was the second light bulb that went into my mind, is like, well, we got uh, wealthy Muslims in the suburbs who have good, decent jobs, and they're professionals, and then we have a big Muslim population. As a matter of fact, the largest Muslim population in this country is our African-American brothers and sisters. And they're doing amazing work, but they have very little resources. And there's a big divide. You know, you, you hear about the digital divide in, in a lot of places in America. Uh, we also have a, a Muslim divide. <clears throat> so part of Ilya's mission was to bridge that gap quite a bit. That's why we, we started our first location in, in the city. And uh, 
So to answer your earlier question, what made me, um, uh, you know, think about Ilya is to build that leadership capacity, you know, to bring us together to one, one direction. And um, to, to, to have leadership capacity, you have to invest in people. Obviously, as we know, it's hard to, to change people my age. You know, you can't go to a 50-year-old who's been doing something for three decades and ask them to change it. So uh, it was natural to develop the youth. And the youth were really excited about that. So we're, we're a youth-driven organization. We're run by youth. And it's the youth who, uh, who started with me, three 16-year-olds at the time. Uh, yeah, how many board members now are youth in your, your foundation? So now we have uh, three who are youth. And, and two adults, yeah. That's very cool. What you're saying is so true because uh, one of the things Muslims lack is a middle class in the United States. Either Muslims are very much so rich or they're poor in the United States. So it's interesting to hear you say that. Uh, a lot of the things that we do a lot of the times is subconscious. In fact, um, neurobiologists find it to be 95 to 97% of the things we do are subconscious. Uh, so, so, what led you to do this foundation on a subconscious level? Like for me personally, the reason I started this podcast was because from a young age, my 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 father talked to me about Islam and history and psychology and philosophy and and math, and and I'm interested in all those kind of fields. I'm a I'm a jack of all trades, but a master of none, right? And, and so the podcast was a very natural segue into my a hobby something that i loved uh so what happened earlier on in your life maybe uh that led you to establish a foundation like this yeah that's a great question um and actually i, I didn't realize the answer to it till maybe 10 years ago so another young brother he was 17 at the time he asked me that same question we were um on our way back from a local fundraiser at someone's house and he said, how did this happen, you know? And uh, I was like, I don't know. But I felt there's a need to, for this ummah to develop. And we, we have a crack in our leadership. There's no place to go to, to, to get guidance, right? Um, we didn't set up Ilya to give that guidance, but we set up Ilya to develop people who can give guidance in their localities, in their schools, their communities, their hospitals, and, and so forth. But um, when he was talking with me, I remembered something that popped up when I was in high school. I had this vision of um, building this oasis of uh, uh, an ideal city. The buildings are made out of marble and glass and gold. And it's just this oasis in the middle of the desert. And it's uh, high tech, zero crime. Wealth, health, it's like the ideal thing, right? It doesn't exist. It's not on this planet. It's like the hereafter. It's like Jannah, right? Um, and, and as I was talking about this, you know, and at the time I was, I was living in Egypt. Um, so I grew up in this country. And when I went back uh, with my family to Egypt, it was a striking difference. Uh, the United States in the late 70s was really uh, advanced compared to, to today, compared to the world. Uh, it was like the cutting edge in everything. Chicago and New York City, these were like the icons of the world. Uh, today, it's like Dubai and Hong Kong and, you know, whatnot. Um, but it was a striking difference. Um, Egypt at the time, they had cars and stuff, but there was a lot of donkeys on the street, a lot of carts and stuff, you know, uh, things like that. Um, it, was, it was a huge difference. So that, that contrast in my experience uh, I think is one of the things that subconsciously made me think like, how can Egypt, this, this um, society, have advancement like the other society that I came from? And there were some, there's a lot of great things also in Egypt that are lacking in the US, right? So I was having this, this subconscious dream of this oasis that brings the two. It brings the skyscrapers and advancement of the U.S., but it has the, um, the, the culture of the East. It has the, 
the humility, the humbleness, the care, the family structure, right? And and that the was innocence in a way. Right, the innocence. And I actually had a name for it. It was called uh, Medina Jambo. <laughs> you know, Jambo the elephant. I don't know why we called it that. What's Jambo the elephant? I, I don't know. I was some old character when I was in high school. Um, a comic thing, you know, but we just call it Jambo, and, and I'd always imagine these huge skyscrapers. So anyway, so that could be that subconscious thing. That's an interesting question, you know, you reminded me about these memories. Um, but, but definitely it was triggered by other things later in, in my life. So going to, now that you started Ilya and, and you developed it, what were some of the things that you thought you know, assumptions that you had about youth. And now that you're 10 years into it, a decade and more than a decade in probably going, this is not at all what I thought. You know, I thought I knew that the problems of the Muslim world, I thought I knew the problems of the Muslim American youth, but once dealing with them on a ground level every day, seeing them, because I, I know some of, the, some of the things you do. You, you deal with them on, on a mental health level. You deal with them on an educational level. You deal with them on a, on a social level and, and events and planning. So you're seeing all aspects of these youth. What's some of the things that shocked you or taken you by surprise? Yeah, there's definitely a lot that I've learned over the years, right? So uh, when I first started, Ilya, I knew that the Muslim youth or youth in general are very capable people very uh, intelligent, hard workers, risk takers, right? Um, they, they want to explore new things. They have energy, motivation, all that, you know, these, these attributes. Um, what I realized over the years is that they're also very kind and very caring. Even though they might not appear as such, in some circumstances, for example, um, a teenager who hits his father, punches him in the face, right? Or uh, a teenager who runs away from home. Uh, a lot of people would think negative about that person, like, um, or thinking they have no remorse. When I really realized that that's not the case, when I would sit with that young person and he would say, I love my dad so much. He just doesn't understand me. Even though like 10 minutes ago, he punched his father in the face and his dad was like bleeding and you know whatnot. So that was something that, that I didn't know before. Before engaging with, with youth to that level, I always assumed that, you know, kids who have trouble, they're, because like when I was in high school, we always had that bully, right? I remember there was this kid, he always bullies me. And one day he bullied my brother. I would always let him, you know, bully me. It's okay. But when he bullied my brother, I literally jumped, flew over him in the bus. I, I don't forget that day. And I just started, you know, punching him. I was a very skinny kid in high school and like one of those kids that kind of mind their own business, right? <laughs> but that day I changed. So I always had that thought that kids who have trouble are kind of like those bullies that I had in school. They don't have kind hearts. They're, they're mean people. Uh, but what I realized working with young people on the ground is that even those who, who have problems, um, they're doing drugs, they're they fighting with their parents, they're stealing, um, they have problems with the law, uh, the majority, if not all of them, um, have really, really kind hearts. They've just been shifted um, in a direction that they themselves don't want. I remember having uh, sitting with a brother, he was 14, at a, a prison cell, he... Uh, he killed a couple of people in, in D.C. And um, he was kind of, you know, out of control. So they called me and said, hey, can you come and see this young person? So I sat down with the brother, and we were talking for like half an hour. And man, the sweetest guy. I mean, he's so passionate, so loving, caring. And I said, what's up? Why are you doing this stuff? Why are you not listening to your mentors and officers and people? and creating all this chaos, and he's like, I miss my mom. That's all. So, you know, we spoke a little bit and, and whatnot. So that's, that's Did the... Did you ask him why he killed someone? So he's living a tough life in the city, right? So this is another thing that uh, I learned, right? Um, you know, there's a difference between hearing stuff 
and and seeing it, experiencing firsthand. So I'm sure a lot of people watching this podcast, they um, they know about homelessness. They've seen pictures on the internet, like someone, you know, in a blanket under a bridge or whatever, right? But that's that's one thing. You can pass by your car and see someone who's asking for money at the traffic light, but it's a different thing to live with that person for a week or talk to them for a full day and understand what's really going on in their life. Completely different experience, right? So, um, and, and the Prophet ﷺ manifested this. We have the story of uh, Al-Umair, young boy, seven, eight years old, who had a, a bird, a pet, and it, it died, right? Many of us would, would take this so lightly, like, oh, pet died, okay, just throw the bird in the trash, right? It's just an animal. Uh, but the Prophet ﷺ spent a lot of time sitting down with this young boy, talking to him about his dead bird. And the Sahaba questioned the, the absence of the Prophet Sallallahu like, you know, he's a busy man, he's leading an ummah. Where are you? What are you doing? And he said, uh, Al-Umair was sad because he lost his pet bird, Nughair, it was called a Nughair. So I had to sit down and talk to him about life and, you know, things like that. So um, your question was, why did he kill people, right? Um, he was in the, with the wrong crowd in the wrong place, in the wrong circumstances, right? You got a bunch of teenagers brought up on the streets, no family, or the family's broken. The government is not investing truly into these people. There's no mentor, no parent, no one checking on them. Their schools are chaotic. So they're running around, young people, obviously human interaction. They get into, you know, beef with each other. And now you got groups. You know, Mahmoud's group and Ayman's group. And they start fighting. And in that, you know, it's just guns get pulled out and people lose their lives. And they're 14. They're still not mature enough to realize that these guns would actually take people's lives. Right? Yeah. And one of the things that I learned recently is that our brain processes millions of um, stimuli a day. And so... We, if it if it told us about the millions of stimuli it processes a day, we'd go insane. So mm -hmm. it simplifies it for us. It simplifies it dramatically. So for example, with the kid that punched his father in the face, to him, I punched my father in the face. Why'd you punch your father in the face? Simple answer, I was angry. Or my father said this and that. But there's actually always a very deep and more complex reason behind the, the, the very actions that we do on a daily day basis, even though initially we can give a simple response, if you break that person down uh, with s certain questions and you keep, you know, in interviewing them, I guess, in a way, uh, you would learn, he, he would actually tell you, the reason I punched my father in the face is when I was younger, he used to hit me, for example, right? Like, it, it it's more complicated than I was angry or he said this and this to me and that's why I did it. Uh, and, and so it's so important for us to have either those conversations with ourselves, but that requires self-awareness. But so it, it definitely have it with the youth because that's what they're going through. And one of the things I, I was watching, um, I went to this park. Remember how we used to go camping every year? Mm -hmm. um, I went to this park and I, I saw the little kids with their families play. And it, it touched my heart because I was like, we don't do that anymore. Right. And I remember when we were kids and our parents used to take us and it was so interesting because I was like, there's no difference here. Like we're all little kids with just bigger bodies, <laughs> you know, more complicated lives and, and smarter. But when it comes to our emotions, our emotions are very much so as nurtured from when we were young. And so when you see a grown man or a 14 year old boy or 16 year old boy or, or a girl, uh, lash out. It's the same thing as a little kid having a tantrum when you take their toy away. It just comes in bigger form. It's more sophisticated. Right. Of course. And even adults go through mental trauma and difficult times, right? Uh, Grown-ups, I mean, like 50, 60-year-olds. Um, I remember a 70-year-old brother once uh, texting our crisis line, the youth crisis line, and it was aid day. And uh, I was out with friends and family, you know, it was after uh, the eight prayer, and he sent a text message. He said, um, I, I'm giving up on life. I feel I want to, to go. He's 70. 
and uh, he was he was living alone. Uh, he didn't have enough means to you know even get food for himself, and he tried even to sell bread, and you know it was difficult for him to to do that. So yeah, even adults go through through mental uh, breakdowns. But to your earlier point, uh, the the advice that the youth should should always remember is uh, self developing right themselves. Um, these are opportunities for us to reflect. And exactly like you're, you're saying, how do I cope and how do I address this? Um, a lot of young people, what they do is they walk away from the problem, right? They take an avoidance perspective. Really what we should be thinking about is what we call in conflict uh, management is, is collaboration. I collaborate with the challenge. So if the challenge is, is manifested in my father, because he's interviewing me question after question when I'm back from school, let me collaborate with him. Let me meet him midway, figure out what is he really trying to find out? Oh, he's, he just wants to make sure I'm okay, I'm not doing drugs. So let me tell him that in a way that satisfies him. So he's satisfied, I'm satisfied, and we're best buddies, right? <laughs> so it's a little bit of uh, emotional intelligence, if you will. And uh, that also helps us, like you mentioned, to become more self-aware. And if we're more self-aware, we understand ourselves better. Not only we know our weaknesses and strengths, and that helps us you know, progress in life, but also makes us more cognizant of our purpose in life and more cognizant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is the whole concept of, of taqwa, right? So um, that's something that I think, uh, unfortunately, modern lifestyle has made uh, life so easy for human beings that we always take the easy way out, right? Um, when I was like um, in high school, we didn't, I mean, my family could have gotten me a car, but I would hop on the bus until college, even after I graduated from college, right? It's not that, uh, you know, alhamdulillah, we had the means to, to have a car, a third car in the, in the family if we wanted, but my parents were against that because culturally, it would make it too easy for me, right? But my parents, my dad wanted to see me hop on the bus and go through that. And today, like, like you were saying earlier, I get to understand that. I get to appreciate it, right? So there's always things when we're younger that don't make a lot of sense to us. But today's lifestyle is so easy for human beings that whenever we get pricked by a, a needle, it's like, oh, I have depression. I mean, yes, people do get depressed. And yes, mental health is a real thing, right? I started a crisis line myself. But I got to tell you, I mean, more than half the calls we get have nothing to do with mental health. It's just people not trained and educated how to deal with the challenges of life. That's all. Yeah. And life is not supposed to be easy. It is never going to be easy. So we're only seeing, this is why you see a huge uptick in quote-unquote mental health problems. Because you have generations who don't know how to deal with, with simple things. Yeah, and that's why... Uh I call it my own quote because I can't. I don't know if this actually because I, my the source is me for the most part, uh, which is do something you hate every day. You have to do what you hate in order to become who you love, it, because it's so important to be uncomfortable every day. You know, I go to work and then I I work out and then I edit the podcast. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to work out, and sometimes I don't want to edit the podcast. But I do that every single day because, like you're saying, that discomfort, that pushing yourself to the next limit, no matter what, um, is a huge part of life. And comfort actually breeds this happiness, this satisfaction with one's mm -hmm. life more than anything. And it, one of the ways that I at least have taught myself uh, for, for all the youth out there how to deal with their mental health issues is be very conscious of your actions, because like I said earlier, 95 to 97% of them are subconscious. Why, why you accidentally, like why, sometimes when people get angry, they pick up something. They're like having a really heated conversation. They're like, and this is what I thought. And they pick up something. And if you watch them, they don't actually take a sip of the cup, for example. They just picked it up in that moment, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of our actions come from uh, what, what we find to be unaware. So what I started doing is, why am I doing this? Like what what's the reason behind why I don't want to go to work? Why why don't I want to um, edit the podcast today? And just ask yourself, be your own therapist. One of the reasons why a lot of us are uncomfortable 
is because we're strangers to ourselves. We don't know who we are. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when you're having a conversation with a stranger, it's, it's much more difficult than to have a conversation with someone you know. Right. Now, I love how you say be your own therapist. Exactly. Yeah. Know your strengths. Know your weaknesses. Fix your weaknesses. Gradually, it's fine, you know, but be aware of them. If you're not, then you're absolutely, you're a stranger to your own self, and, and that's very dangerous. Yeah. And that, one, I, th- I think, like, the biggest thing I learned is the f- it's, it starts at the family. Mm-hmm. Like, if you can get, um, like you're saying, before, a lot of the questions that, you know, my mother or father would ask me some, seemed very frivolous to me. Oh, how's your day been? It's like, seriously? Again? It's been like this for 20 years. You have anything, something more interesting to say than how's your day been? How's school? But as I got older, I started realizing these are human beings. They're just trying to open a conversation with me. Like the way that a Prophet Moses uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran and Surah Taha, when God comes out on the, on the mountain, descends on the mountain, and he says, what's in your hand, O Moses? God knows what's in his hand. Your parents know what you're already like, but they ask you to start a conversation because they're interested in you because they love you. Mm-hmm. And that's something that it took me a while to understand. Like, well, I, I never ask back, how's your day? And it, it's, it took me 18 years to realize, I don't ask back, how's your day? Mm-hmm. I'm more upset. Why are you asking me the same question every day? Right. No, you're absolutely right. It is a two-way communication, right? So, I mean, I think also, you know, parents can change the question or ask it in a different way where the answer is not good or no or yes, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely sometimes we, we ask questions um, to break the ice. Uh, like the example you gave when I asked Musa, he's, uh, he's coaching him. He's, he's having Musa think critically. It's just a stick, I just lean on it and I do my sheep with it, right? Just a regular piece of wood. Now he's coaching him to, to trust in Allah. He says, okay, uh, throw it. It's going to turn into a snake. Now he's scared. He says, take it, hold, hold that snake. I'll bring it back to the stick, right? Now this is illogical, right? It's not according to the laws of science and physics of this life that a stick will turn into a snake. The, the stick being used to lean on, that's logical, right? We all understand that. Now, he's telling him, okay, there's, there's logic, and now you use logic to find God. I'm your Lord. I, I helped you in your previous life and all this stuff. You understand that? What's on your hand? It's a stick. Okay, logic. Now throw the stick. It's going to turn into a snake. Illogic. Do you still believe me? You got to hold it. Now he holds it. Now he's coaching him, right? So sometimes parents... Um, ask these questions but uh, you know to, to be also fair to the parents this is another reason we started Ilya they're not trained in dealing with teenagers they did not go to teenage school right we, we all go to elementary school middle school high school we learn math science all this great stuff we don't learn how to open a bank account we don't learn how to change a diaper we don't learn how to uh, coach a 16 year old when they have a rough day at school so we have to also um, give some credit to parents. No one is teaching them. Now, recently there has been some uh, wellness clinics for parents, how to change a diaper, how to hold a baby, how to wrap them up, those kinds of things. But still there's no school to deal with a, an angry teenager or a teenager who has aspirations or a young adult who wants to get married, all those kinds of things. So when we started Ilya, we, we did a lot of uh, classes for parents and actually a lot of Parents and teachers attended those classes. What we realized over the 12 years, attendance in those classes started uh, dwindling down very strongly. Like, we haven't done any parent classes maybe in the last six, six years. So we're finding that um, parents are distracted. Just like you were saying earlier, sometimes the youth feel strangers to their own selves. The parents are disconnected from life. A lot of parents are in this state of uh, mechanization. They get up, go to work, earn a living, come back, take care of the kids, do whatever they do, repeat. And that's life. 
And now you have a global pandemic and lack of jobs and Islamophobia and all these kinds of problems, right? Just like they're affecting the youth, they're also affecting their parents. And the parents have become subconsciously, many parents don't realize that, uh, detached. And guess what? The, the, the most important thing they're detached from is their own kids, right? So uh, I even see myself, a lot of uh, Muslim parents on some group chats that I'm on. When we bring up a topic that talks about uh, teenagers and youth, very little interaction. They're all adults like my age, dads and moms and whatnot. But we bring up a topic about politics overseas. Man, that group just goes like, <laughs> you know, you're like on sixth gear. And uh, you bring up a topic about local elections at an area mosque or masjid, it even gets more active, right? So that tells me that, that, that this attention and the focus of the parents is off. You have the, the immigrant population, the parents, their mind is overseas. Most of them. I mean, there's some people who are thinking about here and they're doing community work here. There's a lot of uh, definitely adults doing community work in school boards and, and you know, public settings and whatnot. But I'm talking about the, the mainstream. Um, and, and they're not so focused on, on, on here. So I think it's a general problem. But because youth are still developing, uh, it affects them the rest of their life. For people my age, you know, we're already what we are. So if we think about politics, it's, this is how it is. Now, it's going to affect anything that we are responsible for. In this case, our children, our communities. So back to your earlier question, why is the Muslim Ummah the way it is? It's because we're very narrow-sighted in what we do. And it doesn't seem like the parents are seeking help because a lot of the times, uh, like you said, parents can't necessarily raise children on their own. A lot, what we found in the past that works best, for at least, especially for Muslims, is a community to raise you, not just, you know, the parent. Like, you actually, I never told you this, but back when I was in middle school, uh, I used to get bullied. Uh, I went to a primarily ghetto school. One of the things that used to get me through those times is, well, I'm Wayman and, and Ilya and, and my friends there, they don't hate me. They don't think I'm this fat, ugly kid, right? And that got me through those bullying phases. It wasn't my parents, because my parents didn't know I got bullied. Mm -hmm. And my parents weren't the ones being the the, the friends and, and because they're my parents, you know, and rightfully so. They sh it's not the it's not it's not their position or place to be. Um, so what they did instead offer was a community for me to go to. And be able to find an identity with, uh, and, and that was one of the things that Ilya provided to me that that, that I was very thankful for was a backbone, a, a, a structure, a, a Muslim unit that I can go. Even though everyone here is a different background, with every I'm the only Muslim, I'm the only light white kid that's Muslim. Um, so I don't fit with the whites and I don't fit with the African-Americans or the Hispanics. I'm a, a, a light-skinned white Muslim. Um, I, I could attach myself to Ilya. And, and that was huge for me growing up. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of parents, like you're saying, oh, Ilya, yeah, yeah, we, we'll, we'll get our kids to, we'll force our kids to volunteer here every once in a while. Mm -hmm. It's not <laughs> like that. Right. I think you're right. It's part of it, awareness. People don't understand the depth of the issue just the way you explained it, right? Um, the other thing is is distractions. Um, you know, a lot of people say because some parents or imams come from overseas, they don't fully understand. I, I kind of disagree with that a little bit. I think even if you look at um, Caucasians who've been born and raised here their whole life and they don't know any other country, there are a lot of people like that as well, outside of the Muslim community. So it's all about awareness. A am I, as a person, regardless, youth or adult, interested in being intrigued to learn about what's around me? Right? Uh, a Muslim, by definition, is someone who's active. Right? All of mankind is in a state of loss, except those who do good deeds based on truth and fairness and believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and have patience. Right? We know that. So a Muslim, it doesn't befit a Muslim to just 
be very narrow focused. Right? You, you got to know what's going on around you, whether it's your local community, your masjid, whether it's your neighborhood, whether it's the kids who go to school in your neighborhood, even if you don't have kids in that school, and, and so forth. And that's really what differentiates um, a successful community that's active and engaging from one that's just going by, right? Um, you'll see a lot of people who are active in their local schools, they don't even have kids in those schools. Their kids graduated. But they, they care about their neighborhood. They care about their, their community and so forth. So I, I think that's, that's the problem is, is we're so self-centric. We need to realize we're members of a global community, the, the nation of Muhammad Wasallam, And as Allah tells us, we're the best nation brought out, not because we're dark-skinned or light-skinned or what we look like. It's because of three things. We do good, prevent evil, and do it for the sake of Allah. And if we all remember that every day in everything we're doing, uh, automatically things will just turn out the way they should be. Hmm. What's, what's the biggest thing you would say you, you would say is the biggest mistake or regret you have within the last 12 years of on-the-ground work, if any? Oh, wow. That's a loaded question. <laughs> I don't know. What it's would you wish you could have you done differently or would have done differently? If any, it might be nothing at all. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I haven't given this, this a lot of thought. Um, there's definitely have been a lot of struggles and difficulties. Um, I've learned from them tremendously, right? Um, I don't know. Uh, sometimes I think maybe I should have been more assertive uh, with 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 people than I typically used to be. I've changed that a bit. I don't know if it worked or not. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, so that's another thing you asked me earlier. What did I learn that I didn't know before? I learned that uh, college kids are actually not as busy as they seem to be, <laughs> and not. high schoolers are not busy at all. <laughs> so when we first started, Ilya, I used to be very gentle on the youth. It's like, oh, Muhammad Slack, that's okay. He's, he's in college, you know. He's got homework and schoolwork. But I realized, man, that people are just, you know, not, not serious and whatnot. Um, especially when I got kids of my own, and I've dealt now with thousands of young people, alhamdulillah, and uh, I, I know what their schedules look like. Um, so that's maybe one thing, but other than that, I, I don't know, I, I can't think of anything right now. Yeah, I asked you one of them uh, interview questions, <laughs> you know, one of the ones that you go for a job and they ask you, and you're like, geez, that threw me off. So uh, definitely, that's one of the, that's one of the, th that's a question you might sleep on. You're like, all right, let me, let me think about that one. I was just hoping maybe you you had something, because <laughs> it's interesting. Man. I mean, definitely, I would I would have loved uh, to learn more about Islam earlier in my life. So here's one. Here's one that I remember now. When I was 14, I didn't know how to pray. Really, 14? Yeah, I was in wow. ninth grade or so, and I was with my parents out shopping, and we passed by a bookstore. And there was a book there that I wanted to buy about prayer. It's basically like how to pray. But it's a nice thick book. But I didn't want to buy it that day because my dad was with me. And I was like, what is he going to think? I'm 14. I don't know how to pray. I'll come back later and buy it. And uh, I never went and bought it. I learned later how to pray at a later age. But that's, that's uh, an example of something I kind of regret, not speaking up, not, um, not being assertive of, of what I want to do, right? Uh, also, for, for young people out there, when I was in high school, like I said, I got picked on quite a bit. Um, the interesting, a lot of these people are now my friends, right? Um, but maybe I should have spoken more, right? I should, uh, we didn't have crisis line, alien, none of that stuff. I mean... Bullying wasn't even something that human race recognized. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like part of life. Part you, know? of, yeah. you get slapped and that's it. You go home and <laughs> no one cares. Right? Um, so those are a couple of things that come to mind now. Yeah, yeah man, it's interesting. Like uh, w when I look back at my photos with my friends, guys that I, 
that I would recognize as, as my brothers, as people that I grew up with. The only pictures I find are when we were on idiot trips or when we wow. were, were, you know, ta- you, you made us take the pictures, but we, we refused to take pictures <laughs> otherwise. Um, yep. See, so. pays back. Ten years later. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, and alhamdulillah, those were great memories. I mean, some of the best friendships I made were at Ilya, uh, these trips, young people. Um, yeah, I've learned a lot from, from the young folks. Have you ever lost a youth? A youth that you tried to help, but you lost? Yeah, subhanAllah, we, I did uh, a number of them, different, different ways. But yeah, it's definitely a very painful did, did you through. find anything consistent with any of the losses? I think they're 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 different. Um, the one consistent thing is people don't speak up, and it's really important. Um, we need to talk to someone. You know, sometimes we feel that we're a burden on others. Really, that's not the case. Um, simple example. I mean, someone who. Uh, who's volunteering, is doing a lot of good community work. And uh, I said, why are you always struggling to bring people to help you out? You're young. You're a youth. I can bring more youth than you can. It doesn't make any sense to me. There's a problem. So he writes me back an email a few days later. He's like, hey, I got a, I got a problem I need to tell you about. And I thought, like, he's going to tell me, like, he's antisocial or like has some depression or problem. He's like, I feel really embarrassed asking people to help and volunteer because I feel like I'm a burden and making them inconvenienced. I was like, no. If people want to volunteer, they're going to welcome that. They're actually going to be happy you're bringing them an opportunity for them to volunteer. If they are not into volunteering, they're just going to say thank you and that's it or not respond. But if they understand volunteering, if they understand giving back, they're actually going to appreciate that. And by doing that, you're respecting them. You're showing them that they have something to offer, that you need them. You're building community bonds and so forth. But it applies on even a more bigger scale, right? Like they, they find that it's a burden to speak about their emotions to others. Right, exactly. So, and, and exactly, that's my point, that this is a very simple, trivial example, right? but it's a real one. This is a, you know, someone in their early 20s who's active in the community, but he's worried of burdening others about telling them just to come volunteer. He's not forcing them, he's just telling them. So, of course, if someone is 17, 18, 22, 24, and they have difficult moments in life, they're going through trauma, whatever it is, um, a lot of times people don't want to open up because they feel they're going to inconvenience others. You find that mostly in men or is it men and women? Because I feel like women open up and men, I, because I feel that way. I, I don't speak up on how I feel to, to my friends or family because I feel like that would be a burden. Like, why am I bothering them with yeah. this? They don't care. It, I see it also with sisters. Um, Girls talk to their friends a little bit more than guys do with their friends, but but they still don't open up. Um, I've seen it with a lot of, of sisters who don't. So I think it's across the board, but with, with men it's more than, than girls in general. So that's, um, that's a common thing I've seen. And unfortunately, sometimes it's, it's simple stuff. You know, it, it, it could just be one hour of talk or going on a walk by the lake and your, your issue's done. Unfortunately, um, in some cases, people take their lives. Um, other cases, there were accidents and things where they were a little uncareful what they're doing, you know, hanging out with the wrong crowd, getting into criminal activity, um, driving too fast without a seatbelt, you know, things like that. Um, but yeah, may Allah forgive them all. Yeah. You know, I, what one my my biggest regret at least and it's one of the things that's kind of led on this podcast is i didn't i didn't say something when i saw it like uh i recognized in my friend something was wrong and i just i didn't say anything 
I didn't talk to him about it. I didn't say anything about it. And then a month later, I hear the news that he took his own life. And that that to me has been the biggest regret in my life is I knew he I knew he was not what I remembered him to be. I knew that there was something wrong. And I I don't I didn't say anything about it. Um yeah, I, I don't know. It's just that that's definitely something that's weighed heavy on me since. Absolutely. It's it's not an easy thing. Yeah. And and just for the sake of everyone out there, I mean, there is a crisis line. You can share the number. Um, but definitely... Uh, do you, do if, you know the number off the top of your head? 443-429-0095. Uh, people can call, text. Uh, also, they can go to Instagram at Youth Crisis Line and send messages. We get a, a lot of uh, texts from young people. But definitely, um, if someone, if you know someone who you feel is going through difficulty, uh, at least just talk to them, right? Hey, I feel you're not yourself. Are you okay? Uh, you can slide them that number, the card. Uh, I know, you know, as external, you know, friends and family members or community members, sometimes we feel we don't want to intrude like we want to give people their privacy, but to your point, um, there's always a, a threshold we can't we can't risk, right? So um, sometimes parents tell me uh, they call me up and it's like, "Hey, my son is doing drugs and his life is upside down, and what should we do?" And I say, "Call the police." I say, "I can't do that." I say, "I'll do it for you. It's okay." And uh, he said, but they're going to hate me for the rest of the time. No, no, they'll hate you, yeah, for a day or two. But they're actually on the third day going to thank you. And that's, that's what happens. You know, um, a lot of young people, they've been going through some difficult times in their life. But they're at a point where now they're going to harm themselves. I can't just watch and, you know, pat them on the shoulder. It's like, th this is the deal from day one. When I see you hurting others or yourself... I'm going to take some action you might not like at that moment. But you're going, to, you're going to appreciate it later. And a lot of times, I mean, the young person is sitting in an emergency room in a hospital. He's like, you know, cussing at me. But two days later, he's like hugging me. He's like, thank you for doing this. So I think the message here is any one of us, young, adult, parent, grandparent, whatever, if you feel someone is not doing well, don't just sit back and watch. Call a number. Uh, we get a lot of calls by third party, like a grandmother saying, my grandson doesn't seem to be doing well, or a mom saying, my kid hasn't come out of his room for a week, you know, things like that. So, you know, you don't, if, if you're not trained to talk to the, your friend or person or whoever it is, uh, that's okay. You can, you can call on behalf of, of others, but that's how a lot of people, you know, get help. Yeah, and don't ever expect... Don't ever distance things from and actions or events from people. You know, that, that's one of the things I did. Is I said, no, never, not them. And that's one of the things, if you talk to a parent who lost a child to suicide or to, to an overdose, one of the most consistent things you'll hear is, I would have never thought my child would do this. Mm -hmm. and, and if you talk to their friends, I would have never thought. What, what do you mean by distancing things or events from people? Is like um, the, the child that dr drove fast, for example, without the seatbelt on. Everyone else in the world dies from car accidents, not me. Oh, I see. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so that's the biggest mistake that teenagers especially fall into, mm -hmm. is that they distance hard life events and actions from themselves. Oh, everyone, I'm, I'm taking cocaine every weekend because I'm in college. Everyone else gets addicted to cocaine. But not me. I don't get addicted to cocaine and so, until they end up being addicted to cocaine. Right, right. Yeah. And of course, there's also sometimes uh, misinformation. Like maybe it's not really everyone doing cocaine, like yeah. you think. <laughs> yeah. right? Or if everyone is doing it, they're doing it like once every six months, not every day. It happens, yeah, everyone is doing it, but every six months. So uh, sometimes there's misinformation. But you're yeah, right. Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, no, I, I, I meant more like everyone else gets addicted. Right. Like those cocaine addicts on the street, yeah, that would never be me. Right. Because I'm just, you know, I'm me and I'm yeah, risk-free. Right. Right. So, yeah, like don't, don't distance suicide from the people around you because you never know what's going on in their head. 
is or any Absolutely. any any hardship in life. Yeah, and and the same applies for youth. Um, if they see something not right with their parents, I mean, mm -hmm. I remember now um, a sister in in Virginia who killed her three children and then killed herself. Right. So also, adults are not immune to life stressors. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I now remember a number of youth who called the crisis line because their parents needed help. Their parents are going through a divorce. It's like, hey, I'm a, we need some help here. There's a fire at home, right? Or uh, my, my dad is treating my mom really in, inappropriately. Or my mom is just going crazy, whatever. So it's okay to get help for your parents. And you can be the best help for them. You as a young person, you can go talk to them. It's like, hey, like you said, how was your day? You know, sometimes some youth ask me that question. It's like, hey, how are you doing? And they ask me back. It's like, I'm good. How was your day? I was like, I get light. I mean, it's like, I'm so happy, man. Like, <laughs> wow, someone really cares about my day. <laughs> it's usually <laughs> you know? the other way. Besides yeah. my family, of course, alhamdulillah. So, yeah, exactly. So, uh, just asking an adult, especially our elders, right? Another thing we, we um, need to keep in mind in, in this country, our youth don't necessarily have their grandparents with them. A lot of them are overseas or, or passed away, so they're lacking that, that intergenerational experience. And that applies also to the elders. Uh, because of the nature of life in this country, a lot of people move around and move away. So you end up with elders who live by themselves. Their, parent, their kids might be in a different state. And you could be that virtual grandparent for them in the masjid. They come for Aisha and they see you know, the 17 or 22-year-old uh, for those 10 minutes, you're that grandchild for them, you know. Uh, so it, it goes both ways. I mean, at the end of the day, we're, we're all human beings. And the Prophet ﷺ built a community, right? He didn't just focus on one segment or the other. He used to joke with the, the, the elders. He used to hang out with the youth. He used to have serious discussions with people his age and, and so forth. And I think we need to emulate that in our lifestyle. We've become so, um, you know, like little colonies colonies of uh, Arab dads, daisy moms, teenagers, elders, right? And I think we need to integrate more. Yeah. Inshallah, you know, I, I, I think the, and I think you think the same since, I believe you think the same since you work with you, so that inshallah the future for us is bright as Muslims inshallah. and for our youth. And, you know, life's hard, life, life brings you down and and I hope, I pray that all Muslims and non-Muslim youth alike can can get through it and yeah, be I mean, able to come out of it successful and believers of of God and and stick to their deen. I mean, how old were you when you came here? Because so you I, were you were born in Egypt, right? Right. So I came here when I was an infant. I lived here till about eight, and then I went back. Right. But when I came back here, I was uh, eighteen. Uh, I, I didn't have any friends because all my friends are in high school in Egypt, right? So I was like very lonely, extremely lonely. So my friend was my bike. I just get on my bike and bike in College Park, go to Virginia by National Airport, <clears throat> you know, watch the airplanes while they land, go to the mall, stuff like that. Uh, and it was very difficult to make friends because um, young adults who were around me were very different culturally. They were doing things I you know, just wasn't me. So uh, it was very boring and very difficult. But then I would just come for a part of the year and go back for school. When I finished college, I came back here, you know, and kind of settled down. Uh, but again, I didn't know anyone here, right? So it was very difficult. So to, to kind of uh, fill up my time and, and build a network, I started volunteering at local uh, weekend schools. And they weren't structured like today, like you have uh, these masjids and, and Islamic centers. They were all uh, areas, spaces that we would rent, the community would rent in public schools, and the parents would bring their kids for a couple of hours on a Sunday and so forth. So that was really my first interaction with the Muslim community, generally speaking, uh, just teaching second graders Islam, right? Surah Quraysh. Things like that. And from there, I started to get exposed to, to young people. Were you attached to Islam in Egypt as well, or did coming to the United States make you have to hold on to your religion more? Uh, no, really. In Egypt, Islam to me was just like a, <laughs> like a, a habit. A culture. A culture, yeah. Um, I, I didn't really know much about Islam, to be honest, until I um, came here. So I, I understood Islam when I came here. 
I started practicing it when I went to Saudi Arabia. So before I came to the US, I spent a couple of years in Saudi Arabia. And uh, because of the, this, the nature of the society, uh, we closed down for, for Salah. Um, it's a very, uh, you know, um, uh, it's a very culture-aware society, you know, very, um, what's the, the proper word? Um, structured, maybe? Not structured, strict. but... Um, not strict, they're just uh, conservative, conservative, very yeah. conservative, right? So uh, I started practicing more there, meaning praying on time, um, more, more connected to prayer, uh, you know, those kinds of things. But I didn't understand aqidah very well. The What's aqidah? Aqidah, which is creed. Mm. It's, it's the core of the faith, right? I didn't understand that until I came to the United States. And... Uh, Creed is so important. Without it, the deen is so superficial, right? Like the th like the theology. What is it, what the core? Like la ilaha illallah. There is no god but one God. Right, right. So, what is Islam? Who is God? Right. What is the message? Those kinds of questions. So that that yeah, I learned here, and uh, it became more more clear in my mind. And uh, yeah. What happened next in your journey? Did you end up finding friends? Did you end, or what was the yeah. next spot? Yeah, so my first friends were uh, seniors, elders in the community, people who are two generations older than me, um, because they're the ones who would kind of, I guess, uh, find it entertaining to talk to a new person on the block. <laughs> so all the the 20-some-year-olds who are my age are just busy with their life and they got their groups and they don't go to Sunday school with 8-year-olds, right, or 12-year-olds. Uh, but it was the grandmas who would be at the Sunday school talking with each other while their grandchildren are in the class. And these grandmas are were my first friends, <laughs> you know. So, uh, yeah, subhanAllah, may Allah give them all um, good health. Um, and those who passed away, you know, forgive their sins. But um, those were my first friends, right? And um, I remember one elder brother, one day we were at a masjid uh, in the area. And uh, after the discussion, he said, do you know my son? I was like, no. He's like, let me introduce you to my son. I was like, okay, you got enough of me, I guess. <laughs> so, but his his son is uh, one of my closest friends now. He's my age, right? Uh, his son. So those were my first friends, and then over the years, I started engaging more with with young people, and and they became my friends. You know, so one of the things I realized about your story immediately, and this is why I wanted to ask you, is like, you wanted to develop leaders. You wanted to build leaders for tomorrow within Muslims. One of the things I realized, and I'm interested to hear what you would say to this, is I find that as Muslims today, we don't lack leadership. We lack followers. We lack people to follow these leaders. We have Omar Sulaiman. We have Norman Ayyad Khan. We have Mufti Mink. We have all these great people. We have you. We have people for Ikna and, and Helping Hand. All these great people that are doing big, th great things, but not many people to follow them, not many people to support them. Is that the case, or do you think, no, it really is the leadership? I think it's both. <clears throat> so we have a saying at Ilya that to be a good leader, you have to be a good follower first, right? A follower of, um, of course, Islam, submitting to what's good, uh, but also following your, your personal beliefs, right? You, you mentioned earlier how a lot of Muslim youth... Um, get detached from from their dean and they they follow the crowd because it's more popular more cool whatever right um and that's because they're not being true to themselves they're not following their own personal beliefs they they know that you know this is something i don't believe in but they still do it just so they can get by right or get get along um so i think yeah you're right that there's lack of followership good followership but we also have lack of leadership right so if you look at a a larger scale, look at Muslims across the United States in general. We're very good individually. I don't know if you know, like the uh, architect of the Sears Tower, now it's called something else in Chicago, he was a Muslim, right? Uh, Brother Khan, I think he passed away, but he was an architect from the 1970s or 60s, and, and he built that iconic structure, right? Um, but a lot of people don't know that. We have uh, some of the top 
uh, surgeons in the world, scientists, inventors, you know, you name it, not just in this country, but across the globe. So individually, we're very successful people. You look at the, the Muslim population in this country, uh, they're doctors, engineers, cab drivers, accountants. I mean, they do a lot of really good work and good services and so forth, but it's all individual work. But you come and ask, okay, what's the engineering firm that's Muslim-led? There isn't, right? What's the Muslim hospital? There isn't. But you, you hear a lot of other uh, hospitals that are run by other denominations or, or have that mission driven by, by these other th uh, thoughts and, and ideologies and so forth. So at an Ummah level, we lack leadership, right? Why do you think that is? Because I agree with you, you're, you're, you're so right, but we, we didn't used to be like that. If anything, our origins was the opposite. We may have been weak as individuals, but strong together under the Prophet, peace be upon him. So right. what, what's led us to be the opposite, where we're very strong individuals and weak together? Is it our egos? Egos is one, and it's our uh, self-interests, right? So the Prophet told us we're never going to um, fail from within. We're always going to fail either uh, by, by our enemies, sorry. Meaning, we're never going to be defeated by an enemy of Allah. We're only going to be defeated from within. What does that mean? It means... There will be Muslims inside the Ummah who are so egocentric, so selfish, that they start to become what the enemies of their communities by collaborating with others, by spreading rumors, whatever, spreading negative uh, thoughts and mindsets and, and so forth. So, so that's exactly what happened. That's how we lost um, lots of, uh, you know, uh, extensions across the globe. That's how we lost, you know, being uh, the inventors and the change makers of the world. So you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, many people have saw the thousand one inventions um, thing that came to this country and uh, all modern life, right, that we enjoy is, is, was developed by Muslims, whether it's hospitals, uh, agriculture, irrigation systems, you know, you name it, universities. universities. And, and so forth, right? So it's because what? Because we became very self-centric. And the Prophet ﷺ mentions it in a hadith. He says, I worry about you, what competing in life like other nations did, and you get wasted in that process. Yeah, you, you, we've gotten lost, right? Is it, we've become so like distracted and eluded <laughs> by you know, the world around us. And, and we don't realize that if, if we were committed to this religion, it would actually give us exactly what we wanted, right? Like, if, if you really want money, even though, I mean, no one who's actually into Islam would, would think this way, but if you really want money, if you really want fame, if you really want power, Islam gives you all, all the power within you that you need, all the fame in, that you need. Like, you, you'll feel famous just, I don't know how, but you will, but it's... It, there's well, like, you will yeah. feel satisfied, yeah. Right. It's all about gratitude, and and this is why Alhamdulillah is so magnificent. Like the Prophet ﷺ says, what two words that are heavy on the scale? Subhanallah wa bihamdi. Glory be to Allah, and all praises and thanks to Allah. Alhamdulillah means this is all, yeah. all praises and gratitude to Allah at all times, at all places by all of his creation, under all circumstances. I mean, think about this, so mind-boggling. It's not like, alhamdulillah, thank God, because I have water. No, it's thank God at all times, in anywhere, in the sky, on moon, on Mars, under the ocean, by everything, not just human beings, but other creatures, the, the, the stars, right? So... And having, yeah. having that sense of gratitude makes a human being comfortable. And that's why modern science, right, they, they found that people who volunteer, generally speaking, feel happy, regardless of their faith. They, they feel like fulfilled, like they did something cool, right? And um, I, I work in technology, right? So um, 
you know, in our circles at work, uh, community service is not something very common because people have different interests in their private lives. So when someone brings up, like, I volunteered at my community this weekend, we did whatever, like, we distributed food to 100 people. It's like, oh, wow, you did that? That's so great. And it's like, you know, wow. <laughs> um, but these people feel so happy and joyful, you know, during that day and, and, you know, for another period of time after it. So giving back has been proven to be something that makes people happy. And it's the sense of, of gratitude. So you're absolutely right. When people adopt Islam as a way of life, they become content and grateful to the Lord. And as a result, they're going to be happy. So it doesn't matter if I have $1,000 or $10,000 or a million, I'm, I'm going to be happy. right? I'm not going to be in that state of, of always trying to be self-centric and you know so centered on myself. Yeah, because even when I look at my own life, I would be an absolute loser without Islam. Like, I would be the biggest loser I know if I didn't have uh, Allah. And, e and even in times where everything around me is at a loss, like mm -hmm. all the variables of life are, are, if it was a stock market, it would be negative. But I don't feel that way because I have Allah, because I have God, or at least I perceive myself to, to, to be on his side. So it it really it does feel like that, and like you're saying, Alhamdulillah is all praise and thanks. That means not only am I thankful, therefore you know, content or submitting to to the will of God, but I'm praising it. So mm -hmm. if my computer crashed right now and 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 I, and I lost this whole podcast segment, right? I would be praising God, thank you, and praise to you for doing this, right? Or not for doing this necessarily, but for this happening. Mm -hmm. So it's such a, it's a, it's as if it's like it's a complete shift and you know realigning of our psyche, which we're not used to. Mm -hmm. It is a mindset, right? Alhamdulillah, you know, uh, I I say this all the time to my non-Muslim friends. Alhamdulillah is our secret weapon. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it really <laughs> is. Yeah, it, it's everything to us. Um, any last thing you'd like to, to add on, Brother Ayman, before we hop off? Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm so happy to see this beautiful setup and so proud of you, mashallah. And I uh, encourage you know, other youth to, uh, to find their passion, do something that they firmly believe in, and uh, most importantly, understand your purpose in life. Why were you created? Right? There's, there's a reason. Why are we created? Um, why are we living these 20, 30, 40, 80 years? What's going to happen after that, right? Um, and and just once you understand that, uh, start to to live it, you know. So that's uh, that's all I can share, inshallah. And yeah. Thanks again for uh, for this beautiful uh, discussion. No, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time out, out your day. Busy day for you. Alhamdulillah. So appreciate it. <laughs> Jazakallah khair. Brother Ayman, thanks. It was an honor. Thank Bye, you, guys. Assalamualaikum. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullah.